0: Former Vice President Mike Pence made a huge mistake recently. He said calls to defund the FBI are just as wrong as calls to defund the police. Mike Pence is flat-out wrong. The FBI is hopelessly corrupt and beyond redemption. Today's deep dive into the FBI's history of dishonest dealings will prove once and for all that the Federal Bureau of Investigation must be dismantled on this edition of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 221 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Monday, August 22nd, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of the people in this country and all over the world are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022. The day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that will live in infamy. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. Now, if you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. All right, now, Mike Davis, former law clerk for Justice Gorsuch and former vetter of federal judges for Senator Grassley when he was chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, is scheduled to be my guest this Thursday at noon Eastern, 11 Central. He will be giving his incisive legal analysis of the FBI's outrageous illegal unconstitutional raid, on former President Trump's home, and I will also be asking him for advice on how we might best try to get our country out of this mess. That's Mike Davis on The Doc Washburn Show, Thursday, August 25th at 11 Central. Okay, to kick off our deep dive into the history of FBI corruption, I need to begin by playing you some audio clips from a short interview that John Roberts of Fox News Channel did on America's Newsroom on Friday. Roberts asked Fox News contributor and former assistant U.S. attorney Andy McCarthy how heavy he expects the redactions to be from the affidavit giving the feds an excuse for searching Mar-a-Lago. How heavy does he think those redactions from that affidavit will be that the DOJ is going to have to turn over? Will the redactions be, in Robert's words, judicious? Or will they be page after page of blacked-out lines?
1: Well, there'll be pages of black outlines, I think, John, at least in the first round. Uh, as, as one of your uh, commentators said in that uh, in that piece just now, there are a lot of things in an affidavit that they can reveal without actually having to give any substantive information. What people really want to know, I think, is what was the probable cause? That is, what is the evidentiary basis for what they did uh, in in getting the warrant and doing the search? Uh, and then, and the three crimes that they lay out. And the other thing I think people want to know is why this and why now? I think it's very peculiar for the Justice Department to be saying that this was an early stage of their investigation. Uh, there had never been a search warrant done in history on a former President of the United States. One would think that that would not be something you would resort to early in the investigation. You'd want to exhaust other possibilities. So, uh, um, I'm very curious.
0: So then, John Roberts, Fox News says the DOJ argued in court last Thursday that revealing the contents of the probable cause affidavit would really be a roadmap for their investigation. It would expose confidential sources, it would expose potential witnesses as well. So Roberts has a follow up question for McCarthy. He asks him if he believed that there is a way that the judge could look at these redactions and say, okay, we can keep this in here. We don't have to redact it, and that won't expose your roadmap, your confidential sources, or your witnesses. But it will it will give us the, the information we need to understand what went on there.
1: There's a number of things they could do along those lines. They could propose a substitution where they, you know, give a narrative explanation without having to get into the sources of the information and and so on. Mm -hmm. And, John, it's important to remember that this is not information. This is not like a FISA affidavit, right? This is not a national security case. This is information that we ordinarily get to see eventually. You know, everybody seems to be whipped up on this idea that if we don't get it next Thursday, it sinks down a black hole and we never see it. What typically happens in an investigation, and I think you just alluded to this in terms of the timing, is that at the end of the investigation that's when prosecutors and agents like to do their searches and arrests. And then everything gets disclosed to the defense and discovery And we find out what's in it when the defense lawyers make motions to suppress evidence and make other motions. So I think we will eventually see this. And what could happen because of this pressure to be more transparent is it could make the Justice Department move up their timeline. Mm -hmm. You know, to the extent that what they're worried about is that they have avenues of investigation that would be blown if they became public. They may put the pedal to the metal now and try to get finished.
0: Okay. So again, that's Andy McCarthy, former U.S. attorney, uh, or assistant U.S. attorney, Southern District of New York back in the 90s. So John Roberts, Fox News Channel, comes back and says Senator Charles Grassley had been on the America's Newsroom program and said last Thursday he's got some whistleblower allegations from within the FBI that reveal deeply rooted political infection within the fbi okay this is senator grassley himself talking about the deeply rooted political infection within the fbi
2: there's evidence of the handle one thing one way for democrats and another way for republicans there's plenty of evidence of political bias and the people of this country should have extraordinary confidence in the fbi
0: Okay, so given that, John Roberts says, Grassley said political bias within the FBI has tainted both the Donald Trump and the Hunter Biden investigations, and consequently, he asks Andy
1: McCarthy for his thoughts about that. I think it's deeper than that, though, John. You know, the FBI started out as the embodiment of J. Edgar Hoover, and there's an entire history of politicized behavior that we hoped in the 80s and 90s that the Bureau had kind of grown out of. But I think in the era of jihadist terrorism, they kind of lost their identity as a police force and became more of an intelligence force. Uh, And it's a very different discipline. And I think it's given them less respect for, you know, the process. Process standards, the Bill of Rights protections that are really the heartbeat of criminal law enforcement. And that's what I think you have to worry about that the Bureau's culture has changed and that they're overly comfortable getting involved in politics when we should want them a million miles away from politics.
0: Okay, now this is key. And this is why I thought it was so important that we begin today's episode on the deep dive into the history of the corruption of the FBI. With former federal prosecutor Andy McCarthy explaining what has gone wrong over the years with the FBI. Now, any decent law enforcement agency that is worth its salt is going to be keenly aware of having, as Andy McCarthy put it, respect for the due process standards, the Bill of Rights protections that are really the heartbeat of criminal law enforcement. But but intelligence operations, on the other hand, don't tend to have that concern for people's constitutional rights because, after all, instead of trying to develop probable cause criminal cases that can be tried successfully in court, intelligence operations are simply gathering intelligence. Now, any decent law enforcement agency knows, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that they need to be aware of not violating folks' protections as laid out in the U.S. Constitution – because they don't want the prosecutor they deliver a criminal case to to have his case thrown out of court on constitutional grounds. But again, intel agencies are just collecting intel. Now, I've interviewed Andy McCarthy several times over the years. He's really sharp. Once every blue moon, we'll communicate by DM. That's what they call a private message on on Twitter, DM for direct message. But I haven't had the opportunity to reach out to him since he was on with John Roberts on Fox on Friday to ask why he thinks the FBI's drift away from being strict law enforcement to actually being more of an intelligence agency somehow encouraged them to be more politically active. I've given this some thought. The only thing I could come up with on myself is that at least the last four FBI directors Louis Free from 93 to 2001, Robert Mueller from 01 to 2013, James Comey from 2013 to 2017, and Christopher Wray from 2017 to the present at least the last four, those four, are all naturally predisposed to seeing more power centralized in an ever-growing, ever-more-powerful federal government as a good thing. So they would also naturally be predisposed to seeing Donald Trump and everything he stands for, a smaller, less obtrusive, less fe- less powerful federal government as an evil to be act- actively fought against. And we have much evidence of that to delve into on in our deep dive into FBI corruption on this episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Now, I will say this um, – In his article about the Andy McCarthy interview, Kyle Becker over at BeckerNews.com, he has an interesting take on it. In his article, he said, if you were a critic of George W. Bush's war on terror and the Patriot Act, you can take a victory lap. Andrew McCarthy, former chief assistant, United States attorney in the Southern District of New York, has perfectly summarized what has gone so terribly wrong at the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Now, Becker says, we can infer from the former prosecutor's arguments, and McCarthy is the guy who prosecuted the blind sheikh, Abdul Rahman, and his co-conspirators after they tried to blow up the World Trade Center in 1993, McCarthy really believes that the war on terrorism has undermined federal law enforcement's respect for the rule of law. Now, it's not just that the FBI is politically biased, it has ceased to function as a law enforcement agency. The Bureau has become nothing more than attack dogs for the Democrat Party, which is one reason why whistleblowers are coming forward and some are expressing on back channels that what the FBI did to Donald Trump was unjust. So that's that's Kyle Becker's take on it over beckernews.com and I think he makes a lot of sense. Okay, now before I go before I go any further, let me quote the great Steve Dace over the Blaze who said Sunday Mike Pence is an archetype of what will inhabit most of our pulpits today he quotes the Bible and calls for piety while practicing compliance and subservience to the very corrupted systems used by spirit of the age to target the brethren he is a threat to the brethren not a threat to the enemy now, the, the great Steve Dace said it, and I'm going to give you a mountain of evidence to back that up on today's deep dive into the history of corruption of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Now, I've got a long list of stuff, some of which you may be familiar with, and some of which is just going to shock the living daylights out of you. But I want to start with a recent op-ed in the Boston Herald from the great opinion columnist and talk show host Howie Carr entitled, Boston FBI Office Set the Standard for Incompetence. And here's what Brother Carr says. Sometimes it seems like the Boston office of the FBI Dumpster fire of breathtaking corruption and incompetence that it is serves as a field laboratory for the Democrat briefers in D.C., whose mission it is to crush any opposition to the deep state all week long. Since the FBI's Stasi style raid on Mar-a-Lago, Stasi being the old East German secret police when they're communist East Germany. All week long, because this was the end of the week in which uh, Trump's home was uh, raided, since the FBI Stasi-style raid on Mar-a-Lago, it's been deja vu all over again for anyone who's been paying attention to the decades of multiple messes that our local on-the-take G-men have been diving headfirst into everything corrupt, illegal, or unethical that the FBI does nationally, they did a dry run in Boston first, just to see how much they could get away with. The answer is plenty, especially now in Brandon's Banana Republic. So once again, I guess Brother Carr is one of those guys that will say, let's go, Brandon. Remember how A couple of weeks ago, the D.C. Gestapo told us the raid was a matter of national security. Okay, Trump left office in January 2021, uh, about 19 months ago. Yet the jackbooted wokesters only now figured there's a national security problem. It's foot-dragging reminiscent of the Fed's hunt for Whitey Bulger, the serial-killing brother of the most powerful Democrat politician in the state of Massachusetts. Whitey Bulger took it on the lam December 1994 with his gal pal, Teresa Stanley. She couldn't take the fugitive life, so she went back to Boston. The feds didn't get around to interviewing her about Whitey's aliases until a year and a half later summer of 96 by then he had been stopped at least twice by local cops in Wyoming and Mississippi for minor traffic infractions. But the cops didn't know that they were dealing with a mass murdering, cocaine dealing registered Democrat because the feds couldn't be bothered to debrief his mall, his girlfriend. It's in the FBI handbook. Wherever investigating a fellow Democrat, a G man must leave no stone unturned except the one that the comrade, in this case Whitey, is hiding under for seventeen years. The FBI went after Whitey Bulger almost as hard as they've since gone after Hunter Biden or Hillary Clinton or Antifa or Black Lives Matter or any Democrats. Then there was the timing of the Mar-a-Lago warrant. The feds got it on August 5th a Friday, but it was so imperative that they get into Melania's wardrobe that they took the weekend off before commencing the raid at dawn, Monday morning, August 8th. Anyone remember Gary Lee Sampson, a bank robber from Abington, Massachusetts, back in 2001? He wanted to turn himself into the FBI. It was again a summer Friday afternoon. He called the FBI office, told them who he was, told him where he was, and told him that he wished to surrender to them. The feds hung up on him. Hey, it was Friday, date night number one. Who could be bothered driving to Abington, Massachusetts? You know what? I gotta look. I, I, I gotta look and see. I'm not from the Boston area. I've never been to the Boston area. I wonder how far Abington, Massachusetts, is from uh, from Boston. I, I gotta know. A town in Plymouth County, Massachusetts. Okay. So Abington. Let's do directions. From FBI headquarters in Boston to Abington, Massachusetts. Oh, 35 whole minutes. That'd probably be closer to an hour if it's like, you know, Friday afternoon, traffic and everything. But most of it is is interstate. Yeah, I ninety three coming south out of Boston. Anyway, 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 I just you know sometimes when I'm reading a wonderful article, a well written article, but it's from like a local thing, like the Boston Herald. They throw something in, they throw it in like something out of left field. and I'm like, I just I gotta know, I gotta know. So. This well-known bank robber, Gary Lee Sampson, waited around for a couple hours on that Friday afternoon in the summer of 2001, but no FBI appeared to take him in. He wanted to give himself up, and they didn't show up. So, instead, he went on a murder spree that weekend. After he was arrested for the three killings, Sampson told local cops he had called the FBI office. But everyone in the Boston office denied that Gary Lee Sampson had called them. They lied, in other words, just like they did on those FISA warrants on Carter Page in 2016. Boston's also long been setting the pace for payoffs. Now, Whitey Bulger's partner, Steve Fleming, said their mob had six local FBI agents on the payroll. Six! But hey, during one of the rare internal investigations of federal corruption back in 2017, the Inspector General reported that in D.C., they had discovered 50 agents were taking gratuities, also known as bribes, from assorted bad actors in New England. The FBI. Fidelity, bravery, integrity. And free lunch. And free booze. The Boston field office was just setting the pace for other corrupt American KGB types to follow. There was John Vino Morris, a very special agent, who was paid off with $7,000 in cash and cases of wine by Whitey Bulger and his partner Steve. They got him so drunk one night they had to drive him home. That evening, In his drunkenness, he left behind one of the Fed's bugging tapes from Mafia headquarters on Prince Street. Long before corrupt agent Peter Strzok, another alumni of the Boston FBI field office, long before Strzok was chasing Lisa Page around the Xerox machine on the 7th floor in D.C., Vino Morris was um, being inappropriate with his own secretary. Whitey and Stevie gave him a grand so she could visit Vino at a Georgia training session for some closed-door dictation. Oh, that had to be Fletzy. Yeah, yeah, Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, Brunswick, Georgia. I uh, I lived in a neighborhood right across the highway from Fletzy. I was like two minutes from there. Anyway, of course, with inflation, it's gotten much more expensive to buy a G-Man Take Andrew McCabe, the disgraced ex-director who, like all the rest, lied under oath. When he was running the Hillary Clinton espionage probe, so-called, Clinton operatives funneled $700,000 to his wife's campaign for Virginia State Senate. Now, unlike Trump, Hillary never had any of her mansions raided. So, this Vino Morris guy is perhaps a classic modern Boston FBI agent. In return for his wine and cash, he identified hoods who were being flipped to testify against his paymasters. One of them was machine-gunned on Northern Avenue in Boston. Obviously, Vino Morris was the very model of a modern G-man. He was soon promoted to director of the FBI's training academy in Quantico because uh, Democrats. When Whitey Bulger went on the lam, he called up Vino, identifying himself as Mr. White, and told him that if he was going down, so was Vino. Mr. White threatened the Fed he owned lock, stock, and wine barrel. So if Vino immediately took a heart attack so he could, go out on a full-boat disability pension before anyone found out how crooked he was, just like Andy McCabe kept his pension. They always keep their pensions, these bent G-men. Maybe someday we'll find out just what went down at Mar-a-Lago on August the 8th, but I kind of doubt it. Mr. White made his call to Vino back in 1995 Earlier this year, the feds coughed up to the Boston Herald the 302 report that was filed after Waddy Bulger called his fed hireling. It's part of the historical record. The call has been discussed in federal court, books, documentations, etc., or documentaries, etc. So we finally get the official FBI report, and it begins with words to the effect of what follows is a transcript of the conversation. And then there's nothing. And I mean absolutely nothing. Just a blank page. Because FBI. Because Democrats. It's the Boston way. FBI. I guess these days it stands for famous but incompetent. Now, that is the great Howie Carr at the Boston Herald from August 13th. And the article is entitled, Boston FBI Office Set the Standard for Incompetence. Now, coming up, have a long list of reasons that we absolutely positively, should not in any way give the FBI the benefit of the doubt. And I also have some specifics, some specific stories of how the FBI has really abused innocent people. And after today, I don't think you'll ever be able to say again, well, you know, it's just the guys in charge. You know, it's just FBI leadership there on the seventh floor in Washington, D.C. All the field agents are good guys. Uh, uh-uh, No, you won't be able to say that again. Um, Mike Pence has been plucking my last nerve. So when in just a couple of moments, I'm going to play for you what Mike Pence said. And then, and then we will let the evidence roast Mike Pence. And it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. The guy that stabbed us all in the back on January 6, 2021, two days after he said that our concerns would be heard. That Mike Pence. All right. Once again, we are so thankful to our advertisers, our friends like Mitch Ward at RedRiverYourWay.com. And Jonathan Presswood over at Edward Jones. They make it possible for us to do what we do, the Doc Washburn Show, five times a week. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA, that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still... Here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the Nationwide Car Dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be glad you did. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401K or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement, call my friend Jonathan Presswood today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there. And there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501 303 Forty-eight, forty-four. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, DocWashburnShow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Thanks again, y'all. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Mitch Ward, RedRiverYourWay.com, and Jonathan Presswood Presswood at Edward Jones Financial Advisors. All right, let's get right to it. The great Tristan Justice over the Federalist.com article entitled I Think the FBI Deserves the Benefit of the Doubt? This laundry list of corruption should make you think again. And buddy, he has put together a laundry list. Now, The subtitle to the article is a look at the FBI's last six years shows a pattern of irredeemable corruption. Okay. He says, can the FBI be trusted? A federalist analysis of agency lies over the last decade is an unequivocal note. First of all, FISA warrants. In the summer of 2016, FBI bureaucrats launched a deep state operation known as Crossfire Hurricane to thwart then-candidate Donald Trump's presidential ambitions. It began by targeting Trump campaign foreign policy advisor George Papadopoulos and quickly branched out as bureaucrats expanded their surveillance. The spy agency used the Foreign Agents Registration Act, or FARA, as a legal pretext to investigate and spy on Papadopoulos, in addition to former White House National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort, and former Trump advisor Carter Page several were interviewed by undercover FBI informant Stefan Halper, whose own investigation would prove to be a bust. According to a declassified transcript between Papadopoulos and a Crossfire Hurricane Confidential Human Source, or CHS, Papadopoulos repeatedly denied the Trump campaign was working with Russian-backed entities to capture the 2016 election. The FBI, however, wrote off Papadopoulos' recorded answers as rehearsed and omitted his denials of campaign collusion with overseas actors in FISA court warrant applications and renewals. So, in other words, they lied to the FISA court. These were two of the 17 significant inaccuracies and omissions identified in the Department of Justice Inspector General's blockbuster report on the investigation in December 2019. Papadopoulos, who who pled guilty to making a false statement to the FBI in a perjury trap, was far from the only individual to face political persecution from the federal government's dystopian investigation. Not one of the four FISA warrants obtained by the FBI was legally justified, according to DOJ Inspector General Michael Horowitz's report. In fact, at least two of the warrant applications to spy on Carter Page were declared illegal by a federal judge. Following Horowitz's blistering report outlining FBI misconduct throughout the entire operation, another federal judge declared that agency malfeasance, quote, calls into question whether information contained in other FBI applications is reliable, unquote. Subsequent reporting revealed gross abuses of power within the FBI to prosecute political opponents. According to Horowitz, the FBI's FISA warrants relied entirely on opposition research funded by the Democrat National Committee, compiled by former British intelligence official Christopher Steele, known as the Steele dossier. The dossier, which outlined supposed Trump-Russia collusion, and has since been thoroughly debunked, included salacious allegations such as supposed pee tapes featuring Trump paying Russian prostitutes to pee on a bed at a Moscow hotel that Barack and Michelle Obama had stayed in a month earlier. Totally made up, totally debunked. Now, the FBI knew that the Steele dossier lacked credibility as early as January 2017. They knew Steele's material itself contained Russian disinformation. Desperate to continue their deep state operation, however, officials lied to the FISA court about Steele's credibility and hid incriminating info related to the former British intelligence official who was later fired over leaks to the press. An 18th omission, overlooked by the Inspector General's report, but documented by Federalist senior legal correspondent Margot Cleveland, was that Christopher Steele's sources did not include the ones he developed as a British official. Even after Steele's termination as a reliable source, DOJ attorney Bruce Orr continued to feed information from Steele to the FBI over the course of his investigation. Steele met with Bruce Orr 12 times after Steele's tenure ended as a confidential human source for the Bureau, according to the Inspector General. Bruce Orr also promoted his wife's opposition research to FBI investigators and did not disclose that she was being paid by Fusion GPS, the DNC-contracted firm that commissioned the Steele dossier. The FBI never told the FISA court that the dossier they had on Trump was written by a source who was fired for lying, did not undergo independent verification, and was funded by Hillary Clinton and the Democrat National Committee. The FBI never told the FISA court that. Despite the overt abuse of the nation's surveillance apparatus to spy on political opponents, only one FBI official has faced minimal criminal conviction for his role in the probe. In January last year, former FBI attorney Kevin Kleinsmith was sentenced to just 12 months probation after pleading guilty to fabricating evidence to obtain a FISA warrant. By December, Kleinsmith was readmitted to the D.C. Bar Association in good standing. Now, Christopher, Steele, Christopher Steele's primary subsource, Igor Danchenko, was indicted in November on five counts of making false statements to the FBI. In May, a D.C. jury acquitted former Clinton campaign attorney Michael Sussman on charges of lying to the FBI when submitting supposed evidence of Trump-Russian collusion to federal investigators. Well, that's what you get with a D.C. jury. They're not going to convict uh, a partisan Democrat of any kind of political crime. Okay, let's check out misleading Congress on the long list of reasons why you should not give the FBI benefit of the doubt. Following the collapse of the grand Russia collusion hoax, lawmakers on Capitol Hill began demanding answers about FBI misconduct. Former FBI Director James Comey lied to Congress, claiming the Bureau was just investigating four individuals, not the Trump campaign itself, in a dubious spin. Now, in a 2018 hearing... Then-Representative Trey Gowdy asked Comey, and I quote, Late July of 2016, the FBI did, in fact, open a counterintelligence investigation into, is it fair to say, the Trump campaign or Donald Trump himself? Unquote. Comey responded, again, quoting, It's not fair to say either of those things, in my recollection. We opened investigations on four Americans to see if there was any connection between those four Americans and the Russian interference efforts, and those four Americans did not include the candidate, unquote. Now Horowitz, Inspector General for the DOJ, also contradicted the FBI in a December 2019 hearing on the release of his report documenting FISA abuses. In September 2017, the FBI told Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican of Iowa, that the Bureau gave the Trump campaign a defensive briefing about Russian interference in the 2016 race. FBI Assistant Director of Congressional Affairs Gregory Brewer, in response to a letter from Senator Grassley, said, and I quote, In August of 2016, the FBI provided a counterintelligence defensive briefing to then-candidate Donald Trump and other senior campaign officials. This defensive briefing was conducted by an experienced FBI counterintelligence agent and focused on the broad range of threats posed by foreign intelligence entities. Now, Horowitz testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee, that there actually was no briefing given. So you got the assistant director of the FBI lying to the senator. All right. Next on the long list of reasons, the laundry list of reasons of corrupt, corruption of the FBI, reasons you should not give them the benefit of the doubt on anything. Misleading leaders of the DOJ itself. Okay? Not only was Congress led astray as FBI officials conducted a rogue operation to defend the incumbent regime, but so was senior leadership in President elect Trump's DOJ. Handwritten notes. Oh, I get it. Uh, Let let me back this up. Not only was Congress led astray as FBI officials uh, conducted a rogue operation to defend the incumbent regime, in other words, I guess the Obama regime, they were defending the Obama regime, but so was senior leadership in President Trump's DOJ when he got in office. Handwritten notes revealed in the Michael Sussman trial exposed how FBI agents sought to cover up malicious misconduct, wherein DOJ leaders, given the task with FBI oversight, were misled about the investigation's progress. The notes show FBI agent Peter Strzok wrongly told DOJ supervisors the surveillance warrant on Carter Page had been fruitful. Strzok also concealed knowledge that Christopher Steele's Sources were not credible and claimed instead that the dossier was crown reporting from the MI6, the British counterpart of the CIA. In other words, official British government reporting. The FBI said the dossier was being used to examine the RNC and the Trump campaign's effort to soften the Republican platform on NATO and Crimea for Russian energy stocks, but the document made no mention of NATO or Crimea. Peter Strzok also also said that Donald Trump's 2016 joke about Russia uncovering Hillary Clinton's 30,000 deleted emails triggered Crossfire Hurricane, with an Australian diplomat tipping off the government about Papadopoulos at the American Embassy in London. The tip that Papadopoulos was coordinating collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia, however, came before Trump made the joke. Now, Peter Strzok is the same agent whose text messages show he conspired with his mistress and FBI colleague, Attorney Lisa Page. Strzok, a lead investigator for Crossfire Hurricane, assured Lisa Page of a mysterious insurance policy in place If Trump were to be elected, likely in reference to the agency's inside operations, Lisa Page, according to the DOJ Inspector General's 2019 report, told colleagues to go easy on investigating Hillary Clinton because, quote, she might be our next president, unquote. When Page fretted that Trump might actually win the 2016 election, Peter Strzok assured his romantic partner, quote, we'll stop it, unquote. Let's see. What's another reason to not give the FBI the benefit of the doubt? How about misleading Trump? Comey thought the crossfire hurricane investigation was important enough to brief outgoing President Barack Obama on the probe, but kept Trump in the dark. In fact, Comey later confirmed that he told Trump three times that he was not being investigated and refused to tell him that Hillary Clinton actually funded the dossier. Okay, who else they mislead? Michael Flynn. In June 2020, a federal judge ordered all charges be dropped against Michael Flynn, whom Trump subsequently pardoned in the waning days of his administration. Prior to his exoneration, Michael Flynn was facing heavy fines and prison time for making false statements to federal officials in another perjury trap orchestrated by Jim Comey, who bragged about the setup in the first week of the Trump White House. According to special counsel Robert Mueller, Flynn lied to a pair of FBI agents about conversations with Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak as the incoming national national security advisor. Flynn, prosecutors claimed, spoke with Ambassador Kislyak about financial sanctions against Russian individuals after the 2016 election and then lied about it during an interview with Comey's FBI agents. Sending a pair of agents to question a senior White House official in the Situation Room, Comey said at a conference a couple of years later, was, quote, "...something I probably wouldn't have done or even gotten away with in a more organized investigation, a more organized administration." Comey continued. We placed a call to Flynn and said, "Hey, we're sending a couple of guys over. Hope you'll talk to them." He said, "Sure." Nobody else was there. They interviewed him in a conference room of the White House Situation Room, and he lied to them. Unquote. Now, Flynn initially pled guilty to making false statements to the FBI before firing his attorneys and hiring new representation to withdraw his guilty plea. His reversal followed the release of declassified transcripts which reveal that Flynn never spoke with Kislyak about sanctions. The two only discussed expulsions of Russian individuals under a different process. Handwritten notes from the FBI agents also revealed the sole purpose. Their questioning was, quote, to get him to lie so we can prosecute him or get him fired, unquote. A bizarre 2017 Inauguration Day email by Susan Rice to herself also revealed that Comey knew there was no legitimate reason to question Michael Flynn. Okay, more reasons not to trust the FBI. Andrew McCabe. Former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe was fired from his top role, the Bureau for Lying to the Agency Inspector General Four times over multiple abuses during his tenure in senior leadership, those abuses include efforts to set up former White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus for obstruction charges, the sabotage of an investigation into Hillary Clinton emails on Anthony Weiner's laptop before the 2016 election, and fa- failure to report conflicts of interest. While running for a Virginia State Senate seat in 2015, Andrew McCabe's wife accepted a political donation from a close Clinton ally, as her husband was given the task of investigating the former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. A 2018 DOJ Inspector General report blasted McCabe as a serial leaker who lied about it. That same year, a letter from Senator Grassley shined a spotlight on McCabe's purchase of a $70,000 table on taxpayers' dime that the agency sought to cover up. More reasons. Not to give the FBI a benefit of the doubt. Hillary's emails. The FBI repeated, repeatedly told journalists there was no evidence that a foreign power had reviewed Hillary's emails that she improperly handled on a private server. According to an Inspector General report in 2018, however, texts show they almost certainly did. At least one of them classified, as Federalist Senior Editor David Harsani wrote. A text from Strzok wrote, and I quote, It is more accurate to say that we know foreign actors obtained access to some of her emails, including at least one secret one, via compromises of the private email accounts of some of her staffers, unquote. Yeah, but they lied about it. Okay, what about the Wiener laptop itself? Would that be another good reason not to give the benefit of the doubt to the FBI? Yeah, it certainly would. In 2018, Comey told lawmakers over the course of the investigation into Hillary Clinton's emails that agency officials thoroughly reviewed the laptop belonging to Clinton aide Huma Abedin and her now ex-husband, Anthony Weiner. The FBI was able to accomplish such a feat within a short time frame, quote, thanks to the wizardry of our technology, unquote, enabling agents who worked, quote, night after night after night unquote, to comb through the remaining material before the 2016 election. But real clear investigations Paul Sperry explained, virtually none of his account was true. In fact, a technical glitch prevented FBI technicians from accurately comparing the new emails with the old emails. Only a little over 3,000 of the 694,000 emails were directly reviewed for classified or incriminating information. Three FBI officials completed that work in a single 12-hour spurt the day before Comey again cleared Hillary of criminal charges. You know, this Hillary guy, pardon me, this uh, James Comey guy, that guy who cleared Hillary, James Comey guy, the more I hear about him, the more I don't care for him. Next, Roger Stone. In 2019, former Trump associate Roger Stone was raided by the FBI after being indicted by Robert Mueller. A CNN camera crew just happened to be the only network present at Robert Stone's home in Fort Lauderdale before the Sunrise Raid, suggesting the friendly press had been tipped off in advance. The FBI, however, refused to comply with, with an open records request from the Federalist for any and all emails to or from CNN on the day of the raid. You know, you almost get the impression they might be hiding something. Okay. We're going through this laundry list of reasons not to trust the FBI. And it is quite comprehensive in the Thefederalist.com. So the next one is going to be what happened January 6th at the Capitol. Again, we appreciate our advertisers, our friends so much for making it able, for making us able to do what we do. The Doc Washington Show five times a week. Even when I've been up all night preparing for this one, and ha, <laughs> Well, anyway, here you go. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines? Neck pain? Back pain? Vertigo? Acid reflux? Eczema? Problems with your blood sugar? Maybe even hay fever? Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system, and yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. Thank you so much to my friends, my doctors, Dr. J.R. Crabtree and his wife, Dr. Tanya Crabtree, Arkansas, Arkansas Upper Cervical Center for making it possible for us to do the Doc Washburn Show five times a week. Now, we are going to have a very special tweet of the day today. It's kind of like some breaking news tweet of the day in the middle of the night, Monday morning. So don't go anywhere. Stick around after we do the deep dive into the FBI because you're going to want to hear today's tweet of the day. I'm just telling you. All right, now. We're in the middle of this uh, this article from uh, Tristan Justice over Federalist the Federalist.com entitled, Think the FBI Deserves the Benefit of the Doubt? This laundry list of corruption should make you think again. Okay, so we get all the way down to January's, what they call the January 6th Capitol Riot. I don't believe it was a riot anyway. The January 6th Saga has become the sequel in Democrats' efforts to indict Trump before FBI agents hatched a plot to go after the former president over supposed espionage. In October, the Bureau refused to offer House Republicans conducting their own independent investigation of the Capitol riot the same material given to congressional Democrats. The FBI's refusal, the agency claimed, was because officials were already working with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's Select Committee on January 6, Pelosi's committee, however, was established in violation of House rules. U.S. Representative Jim Banks, Republican Indiana, the minority appointment as a ranking member, is entitled to the documents presented to Democrats. Senior FBI officials have also refused lawmakers' questions about how many informants were present at the Capitol on January 6, 2021, and stonewalled. Inquiries surrounding Ray Epps, the mysterious figure who disappeared from the most wanted list after he encouraged rioters to swarm the Capitol. At an August 4th Senate hearing, FBI Director Christopher Ray sought to downplay agency negligence, claiming, quote, we did not have any credible intelligence appointed to thousands of people breaching the Capitol, unquote. But, According to Newsweek, the agency deployed commandos with shoot-to-kill authority and even Capitol Hill parking attendants knew there were going to be mass protests. The FBI has also been less than forthcoming about, about a pair of pipe bombs planted at the RNC and DNC headquarters right there in D.C. At the same time, the FBI has embarked on a nationwide manhunt to incarcerating demonstrators who have been declared such a threat to the Republic over trespassing that they've been denied a fair and speedy trial and held in detention for more than 18 months. Julian Cater, one of two accused of assaulting a Capitol Police officer with pepper spray, and whose case has been documented by Julie Kelly over American greatness, appears to have been outright coerced into making an unconstitutional confession Cater was detained in March 2021 and has remained in federal custody ever since after intense interrogation without an attorney present. Okay, what about Kamala Harris on January 6th? The presence of Vice President Mike Pence and then Senator Kamala Harris at the U.S. Capitol has been the basis for nearly 800 people being charged with at least one count of violating 18 U.S. Code, Section 1752, according to Kelly, which indicates that any building or complex hosting the vice president is a restricted area and therefore closed to the public. But, wait a minute, Kelly, wait wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Of course, Julie Kelly in American Greatness. I must be losing my mind. But Julie Kelly reported the Justice Department was forced to admit that Kamala Harris was not in the building for most of the day on January 6th, highlighting that Harris at the time remained a U.S. senator, not vice president. In the late morning, Harris was moved to the DNC headquarters where a pipe bomb had supposedly been planted, Julie Kelly wrote, and I quote: "Prosecutors have begun amending language in court filings to reflect the fact Harris was not inside the Capitol, d- despite making the assertion in thousands of charging documents." Unquote. Uh, next reason you shouldn't should not give the uh, FBI the benefit of the doubt. March fourth, twenty twenty one, the FBI released. A joint memo with the Department of Homeland Security warning that domestic extremists were preparing to launch an insurrection by overwhelming the Capitol and removing Democratic lawmakers on or about the 4th of March. Okay? Uh, Never happened. Uh, Hunter Biden's suppression. And I don't mean cough syrup he might have taken. I mean suppressing the story. In July, Senator Grassley's office published a blockbuster whistleblower report wherein senior agency officials alleged that the Bureau is actively trying to sabotage Trump and provide cover for Joe Biden's son Hunter. Grassley's office wrote in a press release um, multiple whistleblowers, including those in senior positions, are raising the alarm about tampering by senior FBI and Justice Department officials in politically sensitive investigations ranging from election and campaign finance probes across multiple election cycles, unquote. Washington Field Office Assistant Special Agent in Charge, Timothy Thibault. Now, don't confuse him with a former football player. This is spelled T-H-I-B-A-U-L-T. Timothy Tebow and Director of Election Crimes Branch Richard Pilger, the whistleblowers alleged these two guys coordinated to amplify defamatory information against Trump while giving cover to Hunter Biden, dismissing Biden intelligence as disinformation. The agency reportedly knew of Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop full of incriminating Information on the First Family as early as 2019 and Senator Grassley's whistleblower report highlights how officials may have undermined DOJ investigations into Hunter Biden's finances in Delaware and Pittsburgh. In March, FBI Assistant Director of the Cyber Division, Brian Vordren told lawmakers he did not know the whereabouts of Hunter Biden's laptop. Yeah, I'm not believing that. In October 2020, the FBI revealed that a plot to kidnap Michigan Democrat Governor Gretchen Whitmer had been heroically foiled by federal law enforcement. A group of far right militiamen, the story goes, conspired to kidnap the governor and try her try her as a tyrant in Wisconsin. In July last year, however, BuzzFeed re- revealed that at least twelve people involved we actually fbi informants orchestrating another entrapment oh yes former cia paramilitary operations officer max morton he reported and i quote the problem with the case that is that it appears the fbi through informants and undercover agents hatched the kidnapping plot served in the key leadership positions of the militia group, trained the militia members in military tactics, actively recruited participants, and funded much of the militia's activities. Then, when various members of the Watchman militia became uncomfortable with the kidnapping plot, with several quitting, the FBI's primary informant pushed the plot along, eventually becoming the leader of the militia group." So, in April, a jury refused to convict four of the 14 defendants charged. Two were found not guilty. Another two concluded the trial with no verdict, and another two took plea deals. What about the Ralph Northam plot? You remember Ralph Northam. He was an old-line, old-style Democrat governor of Virginia. Uh, the one they found out had all that racist stuff, don't you know, back in his uh, uh, his annual, his yearbook at the law school. Uh, they had a picture of him in blackface standing next to a fella in a KKK hood. And they also said that Ralph Northam's nickname there in uh, medical school was Coon Man. Ralph Coon Man Northam. So, Yeah. An old-line racist Democrat governor, Ralph Northam, and I think all that stuff came out of that time. They were trying to get him to uh, to resign because he earlier had said that if a baby survives a botched abortion, then it's up to the mama to decide whether this baby now out of the womb is going to be allowed to live or not. Ralph Northam. He's a bad guy. Dan Chappell, the primary informant in the kidnapping conspiracy, the hoax to kidnap the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, targeted a senior disabled veteran named Frank Butler, using the same formula to go after then-Virginia Governor Ralph Noltham, another Democrat. Julie Kelly explained over American Greatness, quote, just as in the Whitmer plot, Dan Chapel lured Frank Butler into attempting to build an explosive device. Chapel also invited Butler to a field training exercise in Wisconsin during the last weekend in October, an excursion attended by some defendants in the Gretchen Whitmer cap- caper. Now, unlike the FBI's victims in the Whitmer plot, however, uh, this Butler fellow, Frank Butler, did, did not participate and has not been charged with any crime. What about Senator Ted Stevens' conviction? Remember that? Former Senator Ted Stevens, Republican Alaska, became the victim of FBI corruption in 08 when forced to defend himself on charges of false statements to federal officials. Now, Stevens lost his U.S. Senate seat as the scandal played out, only to be later exonerated when the judge conducting an independent investigation concluded the prosecutors inappropriately hid evidence from Senator Stevens. Prosecutors indicted Stevens on charges that he had concealed that he did not pay full value for renovations on an Alaskan cabin less than 100 days out from the 2008 election. Roll call reported, and I quote: "In fact, Ted Stevens and his wife had paid more than 160 thousand dollars for renovations that independent appraisers valued at less than 125 thousand at the time." Now, what is the? Uh, how is that salient? What is the relevance of that? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out here in a minute. Prosecutors, however secured a conviction by hiding evidence that incriminated their own witnesses, one of whom came up with testimony right before trial with inconsistent statements concealed from the defense, according to the the, the D.C. paper. And here's the quote. Likewise, the government concealed evidence that its star witness had suborned perjury from an underage prostitute with whom the star witness had an illegal sexual relationship. Well, now, if she's under underage, I don't think she's a prostitute. I think she's a victim. And the government concealed evidence that another witness, whom the government flew back to Alaska away from the Washington, D.C., trial after their mock cross-examination of him went poorly, had told the senator that the bills he received and promptly paid included all of the work that was done. Government prosecutors mocked Ted Stevens when he explained that on the stand, all the while knowing that they had a witness who would have supported him, but whom they had removed from the trial. How about the conviction of former Representative Jeff Fortenberry, Republican, Nebraska, sentenced to two years of probation with a $25,000 fine and 320 hours of community service in March after a jury in L.A. convicted him of lying to the federal government after he was entrapped by the FBI. The saga began in 2019 when a pair of FBI agents showed up at Fortenberry's Nebraska home, ostensibly over a national security issue, not a criminal investigation. Prosecutors ultimately convicted Fortenberry for scheming to conceal material facts to federal officials and two false statements to the FBI. One false statement was attributed to Fortenberry not recognizing a person whose 10-year-old picture was presented to him by agents on their trip to his Nebraska residence. In July 2019, the FBI lied to Congressman Fortenberry and his attorney, Trey Gowdy, claiming Fortenberry was not under federal investigation when he was. Fortenberry resigned from the House during his ninth term following conviction. Uh Uh-oh. Now, what about the Pulse nightclub shooting? In June 2016, a 29-year-old gunman named Omar Mateen stormed the gay Orlando nightclub Pulse, killing 49 injuring 53 more in the name of Islamic terrorists killed in Iraq and Syria. Now, Omar Mateen's father, Sadiq Mateen, was an FBI informant whom documents published by The Intercept suggest convinced the Bureau to stop investigating his son. The FBI turned instead to charging Mateen's widow, Noor Salman, with material support and obstruction of justice. Prosecutors sought to conceal the father's status as an FBI informant, according to The Intercept, in pursuit of Salman's conviction. The Intercept reported, and I quote, Sadiq Mateen has not faced criminal charges, despite a tip to the FBI that he raised money for terrorism in Pakistan, and an ongoing investigation into money transfers he allegedly made to Turkey in Afghanistan. Omar Mateen was researching flights to Turkey at the same time that his father was sending payments to Turkey, according to defense lawyers' summary of FBI evidence. Now, this this Salman woman, uh, the widow of the Pulse nightclub shooter. She was apparently unaware of their possible plans to travel to either country. Meanwhile, the New York Times reported on Salman's trial in 2018, quote, testimony from an FBI agent revealed that prosecutors knew early on but did not reveal that one of their crucial initial pieces of evidence that Ms. Salman had admitted driving by the nightclub with her husband in the days before the attack most likely did not happen. Well, Salman was ultimately acquitted after a 12-hour jury deliberation. What about the uh, Texas synagogue attack? On January 15th, 44-year-old Malik Faisal Akram took hostages in a Texas synagogue near Dallas and demanded the release of Aliyah Siddiqui a Pakistani national also known as Lady Al-Qaeda, serving an 86-year sentence for assault and attempted murder of federal agents and military personnel. Matthew J. DeSarno, the FBI special agent in charge of the Dallas field office, said the attack on a synagogue had nothing to do with targeting Jews. What? What? At a press conference, Special Agent in Charge of the Dallas, Texas Field Office of the FBI, Matthew J. DeSarno, said, <clears throat> pardon me, he said, we do believe from our engagement with the subject that he was singularly focused on one issue, and it was not specifically related to the Jewish community, unquote. But as Chuck DeVore of the Texas Public Policy Foundation reported, Akram was heard to say via the live stream that operated from the synagogue for much of the incident that he chose it because he thought it was the closest assemblage of Jews to the federal facility holding this Siddiqui woman, that he wanted set free Lady Al-Qaeda. DeVore wrote, there are about a thousand churches in the Fort Worth area within a half-hour drive of Siddiqui's place of incarceration compared to seven Jewish centers of worship. But sure, Special Agents de the terrorism was not specifically threatening to the Jewish community. yet. Yeah, right. How about the congressional baseball shooter? The FBI designated the death of a shooter who attempted to gun down Republican lawmakers at a 2017 congressional baseball practice as motivated by a desire to commit suicide by cop. Unquote. Last year, the FBI doubled down on the designation. Jill Sanborn, Executive Assistant Director of the FBI told the House Appropriations Subcommittee, quote, It's fair to say the shooter was motivated by a desire to commit an attack on members of Congress and then knowing by doing so he would likely be killed in the process, unquote. I think there was more to it than that. Andy McCabe, now a CNN contributor, said last summer, quote, the FBI still doesn't know exactly what the shooter was up to. They never really uncovered the sort of detailed evidence that laid out a specific plot or an objective. On the contrary, the 66-year-old shooter who almost killed House Republican whip Steve Scalise left behind a long record of extremist social media posts dripping with contempt for Republicans even branding them as the Taliban of the USA on Facebook. The FBI also found a list of six congressmen in a rented Virginia storage locker, but refused to call that a hit list. How about inflating extremism cases? Yes, yes. Whistleblowers claim the FBI is inflating the number of domestic violent extremism cases to fit Joe Biden's overarching narrative that homegrown extremism is the nation's worst national security threat. Representative Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, wrote in July, saying, "From recent produced, from recent protected disclosures, we have learned that FBI officials are pressuring agents to reclassify cases as domestic violent extremism." Um, he said, "Given the narrative." pushed by the Biden administration that domestic violent extremism is the greatest threat facing our country. The revelation that the FBI may arti- may be artificially padding domestic terrorism data is scandalous. Uh, how about ignoring the abuse from Larry Nasser? The FBI turned a blind eye as former USA Gymnastics doctor Larry Nasser abused dozens of of young female athletes, I heard it was over a hundred. According to the DOJ Inspector General last year, uh, senior officials in the FBI Indianapolis Field Office failed to respond to allegations of sexual abuse of athletes by former USA gymnastics physician Lawrence Gerard Nasser with the urgency that the allegations required. The Inspector General added. We also found that the FBI Indianapolis field office made fundamental errors when it did respond to the allegations, failed to notify the appropriate FBI field office, the Lansing resident agency, or state or local authorities of the allegations and failed to take other steps to mitigate the ongoing threat posed by Nassar. How about Kyle Rittenhouse? Kyle was acquitted of politicized charges brought against him last summer when he shot three men in self-defense. Two died. Contrary to the media's racialized coverage of the trial, all three were white. Now, during the proceedings, wherein an 18-year-old Rittenhouse, now 19, faced life in prison, prosecutors used aerial footage from FBI surveillance in their effort to convict Rittenhouse. When the defense tried to access the rest of the FBI footage from the night in question, however, the Bureau claims it no longer existed. Yeah. I'm not believing that. About demonizing James Rosen. In the year 2010, the Obama administration began aggressive surveillance of journalist James Rosen who was working for Fox News at the time, the Justice Department tracked Rosen by falsely claiming the reporter was a potential terrorist collaborator and accused him of violating the espionage act. So, the Obama administration tracked Rosen's movements and, according to Fox News, even seized the phone records of his parents. How about Martha Stewart? Most Americans today believe Martha Stewart was convicted 20 years ago on charges of insider trading. Her actual conviction that sent her to federal prison was conspiracy to lie about the crime for which she was never charged over a trade that had already taken place. Martha Stewart's quarter million dollar sale of M-Clone stock Served as the pretext for which federal prosecutors, led by none other than James Comey, went after the media mogul. Mogul, that is, Comey's case, however, is so weak that prosecutors pursued a novel legal theory to secure a conviction. According to the theory they pursued, while the steward engaged in securities fraud, when she declared that she was innocent, which prosecutors said was designed to prop up the value of her company, Martha Stewart, living on the media. In other words, Stewart's proclamation of innocence was declared a crime by federal law enforcement, and she spent six months incarcerated. Um, what about the deadly wrongful conviction? The 2007 ruling against the government cost the FBI $102 million after the agency misconduct resulted in the deaths of two men. In order to protect a mob informant, the FBI was caught deliberately withholding evidence in a case that led to the wrongful wrongful convictions of four men, three of which were sentenced to death, two of whom died before true justice was served. That was the one where they were... um, they're giving Whitey Bulger, the mass murderer, cover and blaming guys that never murdered anybody. Um, last but not least, Tristan Justice, Western correspondent for The Federalist, has the Mar-a-Lago raid. The Department of Justice appears to be following the same playbook agency officials have used for years in the Democrats' series of manufactured scandals to bring down Trump. So when the FBI executed an unprecedented raid of former president's Florida residence ostensibly conducted to enforce the Presidential Records Act, federal officials confiscated more than a dozen boxes from the 128-room mansion pursuant to the rarely prosecuted law claiming Trump harbored classified information relating, related to the nation's nuclear secrets. Leet claims to the Washington Post that Trump possessed sensitive nuclear records, which came hours after Attorney General Merrick Garland professed the agency's professionalism, however, showcased the sensationalism crafted by officials desperate to justify the raid, which included more than 30 agents. At a press conference recently, Merrick Garland admitted to personally signing off on the raid he called narrowly scoped. Well, an examination of the warrant, however, reveals that it authorized FBI agents to seize any and every document Trump came into contact with as president. Furthermore, none of the three criminal statutes the DOJ cited in the warrant required the material to be classified, according to Margo Cleveland. The FBI also attempted to dispel claims that federal officials stripped the president of his passports, telling CBS News that the agency was not in possession of the documents after Trump blasted that they had been confiscated. An email made public by Trump spokesman, Taylor Budowich, however, exposed the FBI's lie. The the email from Jay Pratt, the chairman, pardon me, the chief of the counterintelligence and export control section in the DOJ's national security division confirms that the filter agents, the filter agents seized three passports belonging to President Trump, two expired and one being his active diplomatic passport. All right, now, so that is a long but wonderful article from the TheFederalist.com. And Tristan Justice wrote it, and it's entitled, Think the FBI Deserves the Benefit of the Doubt? This laundry list of corruption should make you think again. No doubt, Holmes. No doubt. All right, now. Having said all that, it is time to say, hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Don Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com, River Your Way. Big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice, the way you want to. Online, have it delivered to you anywhere in the continental United States of America. All right, now, the tweet of the day, it's a guy named Grant Taylor. And it doesn't really matter who the tweet came from. What matters is the content in the tweet. Now there's a guy named Alex Jones and I'm not, I've never been a real big fan of Alex Jones. I've never played any of his audio on my show. Um, but he says he has an emergency message to Donald Trump. And I know that from time to time, there are people who have access to Donald Trump. to Listen to the Doc Washburn show. And I think that uh, Alex Jones is making a good point on this. Look, even a blind squirrel can find an acorn eventually. So let's hear. And if you've never heard Alex Jones before, his voice is different. Here he is.
2: Alex Jones here issuing an emergency warning to President Trump. Not a warning out of any desire to hurt you, President Trump, but to save your important legacy and hopefully ensure you can get back into the White House coming up in 2024, we know the election was stolen. We know the deep state's trying to set you up any way they can. We understand that you are a lion surrounded by hyenas. But the number one issue that is going to end up biting you in the ass like nothing else is the experimental shot that Fauci and Bill Gates and Burks and the rest of them convinced you would actually save millions of lives and get the economy going when they had brought out their lockdowns. I know why you did it. You've done so many other great things for this nation. And I admire you and I appreciate you. And I want to support you for president. But Ron DeSantis is coming out and admitting that the vaccines don't work because now the CDC and others have been forced to admit that.
1: Even as now, even the CDC is backhandedly acknowledging that
2: the shots aren't preventing people from getting infected. We have Deborah Burks coming out and saying she knew the COVID vaccine wouldn't protect. We have... Walensky, the current head of the CDC, coming out and saying that they were wrong about all this. We made some pretty public mistakes, and we need to own them. This admission came
0: after
1: the CDC received the findings of an external review she ordered of the agency. The CDC says the review found the agency's COVID guidance was confusing and
2: overwhelming. But you are still out there saying, no, it's great, and you're proud of it. Now that they've admittedly set you and America and the world up, with an experimental drug they rolled out of gene therapy against the general public, it is critical for you to decouple from these people, like Bolsonaro and other leaders like Viktor Orban have done, saying, hey, at first we were for this, we thought it might help, but now we know it doesn't work, it's a fraud, and we need to put the brakes on this. President Trump, I care about you. I know you mean well, you're a very smart man. But they're coming after six-month-old and up babies with these dangerous shots.
0: So there it is. Uh, Some breaking news there from Alex Jones, your tweet of the day, brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Now, today we have merely scratched the surface of the FBI's history of deceit, of corruption, of lies, of dishonest dealings. We have merely scratched the surface there's no way in the world I could get it all in, in one day. So today was part one of the deep dive into the FBI. My next episode, part two, we'll talk about the fact that the FBI searched data of millions of Americans without warrants. We will also talk about a man unjustly convicted, 30 years in jail for a single hair, the FBI's mass disaster of a false conviction. We'll also talk about an American horror story. Thomas Caldwell's is just one of several stories of American patriots living the nightmare of being American political prisoners because of the FBI. We'll talk about the fact that Revolver News has definitive proof that the FBI is hiding critical footage of the January 6th pipe bomber I mean, there's so much. There's so much that we're going to get to in part two of the deep dive into the FBI corruption. Uh, What about the fact that the the FBI unit leading the Mar-a-Lago probe earlier ran the discredited Trump-Russia investigation? Did you know that? Have you heard that anywhere? Oh, and last but not least, out of Arkansas, the state I happen to be doing the show in, former FBI agent pleads guilty to destroying evidence that put a state senator in federal prison. You can't make it up. So, I mean, part two is in our next episode. But I think you're going to want to tell your friends about part one. I mean, the other day I did the deep dive on the CIA's corruption. That was episode 219. Then episode 220, interviewed Jeffrey Clark, former assistant attorney general under President Trump, whose home was raided six and a half weeks before Mar-a-Lago was. And the federal agents wouldn't even let him put his pants on. They made him stand outside his house. In his underwear, so CNN could get pictures? Took his cell phone and all his electronic devices? If you haven't heard Episode 219 yet, about the deep dive into the CIA's perfidy, their corruption, you want to check out Episode 219. If you haven't heard Episode 220, my interview with Jeffrey Clark, former Assistant Attorney General under Trump, you you need to check it out. So today was part one of the FBI's long history of corruption. I've got so much more. So make sure you check out the next episode, too. You've been listening to episode 221 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy, this has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier Tenth. And that's the way it is, Monday, August 22nd, 2022.